Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. It is Thursday, May 28th, 2020. I am Andrew Hansen, joined once again by Shane Caldwell as we continue our 32-day virtual tour around the NFL from a DFS perspective. It's day 29 as we transition to the AFC East and the New York Jets. And Shane, we got to get right to the highlight of the offseason for the New York Jets. And believe it or not, it was their performance last night in the DraftKings simulation game. They went up against the Baltimore Ravens, who I mentioned yesterday on the show was your Super Bowl pick for 2020. We broke down we broke down that team and the magic of Lamar Jackson. And when the when these two teams played in the regular season last year, Baltimore beat the Jets 42-21. But last night in that simulation game, somehow the Jets beat the Ravens 27 to 6. They just absolutely stomped them. So, I mean, tell tell everybody how excited Adam Gase has to be about that performance and what what can he take away from it? Yeah, I think uh, simulation Baltimore overlooked this team a little bit, and then they didn't take into account these offseason changes we're going to talk about today that's going to improve this team. So <laughs> it's, uh, the Jets, uh, especially the simulation Jets, things are looking up for them, but I think the real-life Jets are looking good as well. And uh, we love playing the uh, the sim games. We've been playing them during this uh you know, kind of off-season mode here where there's really no sports, and they've been really exciting to play on FanDuel and DraftKings. We've had a lot of fun competition there. But, yeah, some of these results are kind of head-scratchers, and, and, and they're kind of hilarious, uh, but that is part part of the simulation games. But, yeah, we'll see if the simulation games are right, that they are uh, – the Jets are an improved team. But, yeah, that was pretty impressive that they blew out the Ravens. Uh, <laughs> the simulation guys don't like the Ravens, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, just funny how that worked. I guess, you know, the, the simulation, when the computer plays the Ravens, they, they just they haven't had enough reps with Lamar Jackson. They're sort of stuck in year one with Harbaugh and Jackson. They just didn't quite click there at the end of year one. They certainly clicked last year. Uh, computer's just behind a little bit. But I guess the computer, what it did pick up was the Jets' defense last year, which, you know, despite their sub-500 record, was very strong against the run. And I, I guess that's how they bottled up Lamar Jackson and forced two fumbles for a guy that was, uh, you know, touchdown to inter- touchdown to turnover ratio last year. He was four to one. But uh, the Jets just squashed him last night, uh, kept him out of the end zone, forced those two fumbles and, you know, sh- showed off their strength on the on the defensive side. So, uh, like you mentioned, we've had some fun with the simulations. It's nice because, I mean, really, it's it's free money. Um, you know, these uh, contests that are being run. Uh, so, so we have had some fun with our members, and uh, we are open for new members. Uh, we just launched in early 2020 here at DFS Coach Talk. So, if you want to learn more about our crew, uh, head to dfscoachtalk.com, and you can pick up one of our memberships. We cover the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. We also provide free lineup advice to our members right now in the KBO, the Korea Baseball Organization. So. We'd love to have you come and join us. And uh, as I mentioned, we are wrapping up our 32-day coverage of the NFL from a DFS perspective, and we're transitioning to the AFCE. So we're going to start to break down uh, the Jets as we transition into the real-life 2020 season. Uh, and Shane, I know you're impressed with their changes at the top in terms of the general manager and his influence on the direction of the Jets. Yeah, that uh, so surprise move uh, right before the season started last year. They fired their uh, GM and uh, they hired Joe Douglas as their new GM. Um, and this was kind of a long time coming to, to get a new GM in there. And this guy, this was his first offseason he had uh, in terms of his uh, free agency and draft and everything. And I think Joe Douglas did an excellent job. And uh, Joe Douglas has a lot of experience uh, in a lot of good people he worked with. He was in Baltimore for 14 years and worked under Ozzie, Ozzie Newsom in Baltimore, who was one of the best GMs in the league. So he learned from the best. And I think he's, I think that's really paying off now for the Jets that again, I think that to build a successful team, you have to kind of be able to have a good GM who, who can uh, accentuate the strengths of the team and build around, you know, guys like Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell. And I think he's done an excellent job of improving their weaknesses and allowing this team to compete. And I'm going to go ahead right at the top of the 
right at the top of this podcast about the Jets here, I'm going to make a bold statement, okay? I'm going to make a bold – this is a bold statement. I'm not going to go all the way out here, but I'm going to say that the Jets have a chance to compete as a dark horse to win the AFC East, and that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. I'm not going to quite go out there on the limb and say 100% because uh, I do like still like the Bills and the Patriots, but I think that they are in, in competition to win this division or get a wild card spot if everything goes the way I'm seeing it here. And so we'll talk about why 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 I think that and, uh, and how this affects DFS here as we get into the, the numbers here. Excellent. Well, I love the bold predictions. You, you bring them often. Um, so let's start to break it down. Let's start on the offensive side here. And we've got Adam Gase in year two with his offensive coordinator, Dal Loggins. Uh, you know, we, we, we know that Gase is really the mastermind of this offense. And he built his resume in Denver back in 13 and 14 with Peyton Manning. They went to the Super Bowl in 2013. So he's had some real success. Um, sort of been f- about 500 as a head coach. Um, Dow Loggins, on the other hand, you know, he hasn't been as successful on his own. He sort of bounced around. He's been an offensive coordinator for four years on three different teams. And his teams have never finished in the top half of the league in scoring. And they've only been in the top half of the league in yards once. So, you know, my faith really in terms of potential is with Adam Gase. Um, but it just did not work at all last year offensively. This team was dead last in yardage. And it was consistent across the board. They were 29th in passing yardage, 31st in rushing yardage, and once again, dead last in yards per carry at 3.3. It was just an absolute mess. On the offensive line, they allowed 52 sacks, which was 29th. Um, and so it was just it was just a long season, and, and the defense is the only thing that kept them in ball games and allowed them to win seven games. But Shane, this has been a major offseason for the Jets. And starting with that offensive line, I mean, we may see as many as four or five different starters on this offensive line this year. Yeah, I'm excited about the offensive line. That's one of the things Joe Douglas did. So he went out there in free agency and rebuilt this offensive line and also the draft. He got starting offensive right tackle George Fant from the Seahawks. He got starting center Connor McGovern. Uh, from uh, the Broncos, and he was a top-rated center, okay? And then he also got, as a guard, Greg Van Roten, who I believe played with uh, Carolina, uh, also a solid guy. So he built up the depth of this uh, offensive line, uh, and he built and he improved the starting line. And then we're going to talk about Makai Becton, who they drafted as the starting franchise left tackle, and this guy's obviously a beast, so we'll, we'll definitely talk about him. Uh, so they're going to be able to actually control the line of scrimmage a little bit, which is something they weren't able to do last year. So I think that was the number one thing that hurt this offensive line, besides the fact that they didn't really have that many weapons uh, that, for this offense. Uh, and obviously Sam Darnold was was sick and out for a lot of the year. Le'Veon Bell wasn't able to get it going, but that was all because of the offensive line. A few offensive line stats here that are significant – this offensive line allowed a pressure in 2.5 seconds or less on in 27%, over 27% of the dropbacks, which was second worst in the league. So in other words, as soon as the quarterback went back there, there was pressure in his face like a lot of the time, right? More than a quarter of the time, almost a third of the time. And then in terms of Le'Veon Bell, you say, what happened to Le'Veon Bell? Is this guy just completely washed up? He's horrible. Well, the offensive line was the worst in the league pretty much at run blocking and they uh, the offensive line gave up uh, had the league worst 0.7 rush yards before contact before uh, per attempt. So 0.7 rush yards before contact per attempt. So in other words, as soon as the running back got the ball, usually Le'Veon Bell, he had a, a, like a fraction of an inch, basically less than a <laughs> less than a less than a yard before the guy the 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 contact the guy the defensive guy was there to hit him. So and that's not good for Le'Veon Bell's style, which is that patient, calculated runner who finds the hole if he if the offensive line knows how to block and and really hits the hole hard once he finds it and is, is an explosive running back. So it, it didn't fit his style. Horrible offensive line. I don't care which running back was on there. I don't think they were going to be effective when you've got a guy hitting you as soon as you get the ball, basically. Uh, so 
you improve the offensive line, everything improves. And we'll talk about the depth at wide receiver, big upgrade there, upgrade in tight ends, upgrade everywhere. If you get Sam Darnold the entire entire health year healthy, the offense is gonna it's gonna be upgrades across the board, which is why I'm predicting the Jets to to have a much better season. So so that's kind of the offensive breakdown there. Yeah, I mean that is not the recipe for Le'Veon Bell. We for for years we've seen him run in Pittsburgh and he's so patient. He likes to get up to the line and sort of feel things out, look at his different options, and then eventually pick a hole and burst through it. But you can't do that if two feet after you pick up the the carry you're getting hit. It just doesn't work. So yeah, uh, you know, so almost made- the entire offensive line is going to be new. You know, so you can't really look at the stats from last year because it's pretty much it's at least four out of the five, if not five out of the five positions are going to be brand new at the offensive line position this year. Yeah, so everybody in the Jets building has to be excited about that. What a great investment in Mackay Becton uh, with that 11th pick in the first round. Hopefully that pays off for them. Now, on the defensive side, you know, this is, again, the surprising thing is they were really stout against the run. Number two in the league, uh, only 1,391 yards given up. And although they averaged 3.3 yards per carry on offense, which was dead last, they only allowed 3.3 yards per carry on defense, which was second best. So terrific run defense and an average passing defense. They were ranked 17th in yards allowed, uh, 17th in touchdown passes allowed, 17th in turnovers forced to 21. Um, they did not get to the quarterback defensively, only 25 sacks, which ranked 23rd. So what you have is a team that didn't get to the quarterback, but still managed to be solid against the pass, very stout against the run. And, you know, we know that Greg Williams, their defensive coordinator, has had a lot of success as a defensive coordinator in the NFL. So what's your outlook for the defensive unit for 2020? Yeah, this I mean, I love this defense. I think they're really, again, under the radar defense. If you were to, you know, if you were to ask someone who's pretty knowledgeable. Who do you think are the top, some of the top defenses in the, in the NFL this upcoming season here? I don't think anyone would say the Jets. I really like them, you know, but if you look at it, what they were able to do last year, being second against the run, completely shutting teams down at only, you know, 13, 1,391 yards for the whole season, just shutting them down, being a seventh overall defense in yards given up at, you know, a little over 5,100 yards. I mean, they did a great job. Uh, and, one thing that I noticed is that uh, that was with C.J. Mosley, who was their their uh, big money free agent acquisition that uh, in 2019. And he is uh, inside linebacker, Pro Bowl caliber guy that they got from the Ravens. And he only played a few games. I think it was like three games in 2019. He had a core injury and he was out for the year. So if you bring him back at inside linebacker, kind of the quarterback of the defense with his experience and his toughness against the run and being able to get people in the right position, um, and then you you combine that with, you know, Greg Williams, a great defensive coordinator. I think that the, he will be able to scheme the, the pass rush a little bit more. Uh, so they're able to shut down the run and then get after the 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 uh, passer with this uh, with this Greg Williams scheme where he can, you know, Jamal Adams, you know, blitzes a lot. So if they can keep Jamal Adams and sign him to a deal and keep him happy, you know, he has a little bit of a contract dispute, but I think he'll be fine. And then I expect a huge leap from year one to two with Quentin Williams, the defensive tackle. This guy is a superstar. Uh, He had some injury issues in training camp last year. It took him a little while to get going, so he didn't have really a full offseason. So the year one to two jump for him as a pass rusher and as an absolute just dominant run run, uh, defender as well, I think that he's going to improve this defense even more. So a combination of him and C.J. Mosley, And then having Jamal Adams, they picked up a couple uh, new cornerbacks that I think are decent. They're not real strong there, but they're but they're they're pretty good there. Uh, So I expect this defense to be dominant again and probably even a little bit better than last year uh, with C.J. Mosley. And uh, and I think it'll help if the offense can actually move the ball and keep the defense off the field, keep them a little fresher, too, because the defense did good considering the offense couldn't run the ball. They couldn't control the time of possession, so the defense was not set up for success at all, and they still performed well. So that tells me that this defense is going to be a shutdown defense, and uh, you you might not want to target them a lot in D, in DFS. You know, you might be able to get a little bit of passing production from them, but definitely running backs, you're not going to look at that. And this is a defense you can you can play in uh, in fantasy as well if you're going to play, if you're in a format that plays a defense. 
so that's just something to keep in mind here. Uh, big things from this defense and then with the offensive line improvements and the position players that we're going to talk about in a few minutes here, uh, we're looking for uh, for big improvements from from the New York Jets, even though probably aren't a lot of people are picking them as a as a team that's going to improve this year. But I, I certainly am with with all these things in mind here. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. You mentioned the possibility of playing the Jets in DFS, and it's not something you think of when you think about a seven and nine team. But I agree. Uh, the team that's that good against the run and was that good at, um, you know, keeping the, the score low. Now, if they can just get incremental in- improvements in terms of forcing more turnovers and getting the quarterback a little bit more, then we may have something. And you mentioned uh, Jamal Adams uh, getting to the quarterback. He had six and a half sacks. So assuming he's back in town um, and happy enough with his contract, they also re-signed Jordan Jenkins, who led the team last year with eight sacks. And then they went out and spent a third round pick on Jabari Zuniga, defensive end from Florida, who looked pretty good to me on tape. So you get everybody healthy, you you add in a couple pieces here, and, and this defense could be even better. Yeah, I'm looking for big things now, for that. Now, on the offensive yeah. side, uh, let's start to break that down by position, because that's the real issue for this team. That was their Achilles heel last year. And Sam Darnold is entering year three. He battled uh, he battled the sickness early in the year, missed three games. Um, and, you know, you talk about this offensive line and, and we've talked about how many sacks they allowed. And that game against New England, um, you, you reminded me of it before we started the, the game where he was talking about seeing ghosts. Yeah, and that was bad. He ended up with negative fantasy points that game. So his floor is actually below zero, which is not where you want your floor to be. <laughs> you you want your floor to be in the high teens if you're a quarterback, but it was in the negatives because he was 11 for 32 that day with 86 yards passing, but four interceptions and he lost a fumble. So, I mean, that was just sort of the, you know, the symbol of the Jets season last year. So talk to me about Sam Darnold as he enters year three. Yeah, I, I look for Sam Darnold to make a big comeback here. Uh, I know people are kind of down on him, but I'm going to make a comparison to kind of uh, a talented uh, quarterback, uh, Jared Goff. So I like to make that comparison because you remember early in his career, he was just absolutely atrocious, you know, especially when he was the Jeff Fisher offense before McVay got there. But my point was he looked like he was seeing ghosts as well, and he was really bad, and it was like, okay, this is a huge draft bust. Everyone was down on him. And then he went on with McVay with the right offense, uh, to have a couple of huge fantasy years in a, in a Super Bowl run. Uh, so I think that uh, my point is Sam Darnold is just as talented, if not more talented, uh, than Jared Goff. And it's all about what's around him in terms of the offensive line, having the correct scheme, the offensive line, and having a good running game, a good running back, and, and weapons around him. So I think that he's going to take a huge jump in year three here. Um, obviously last year he had a combination of a horrible offensive line, you know, a lot of new players, uh, wide receivers that weren't good. They weren't getting open. He wasn't on the same page with them. They, you know, they had some character issues. I don't think they were getting along. I don't think he was getting along with Robbie Anderson in there as well. The coaching staff wasn't either. Uh, and then you had the mono situation where he's out for, you know, four to five weeks or whatever it was. So you had a lot of things to disrupt this guy's season. So if you take all that out, you get a healthy uh, training camp, healthy preseason and all these weapons improved offensive line. We know that Sam Darnold is talented, so he does have the upside. So I expect a much improved floor from him and a much higher upside. Uh, Last year uh, in his limited time playing 13 games, he did have uh, his best fantasy games on DraftKings were 31 points, 26, 23, and 21. And he wasn't really that expensive. What was he probably DraftKings around $6,000 range, you know, 5,500, 6,000. So you can, this is a guy that you can, you can buy low on, you can get cheap, especially early in the year. And he is going to, I think he is going to produce good fantasy stats. Uh, and he's the type of guy that can win you, definitely win you some cash in D, DFS because he's going to be pretty low ownership. People aren't thinking about him. Um, you can stack him with some of these uh, wide receivers and tight ends he has if you want. And I, th- I think that he's actually a, a good fantasy play, as, as bad as he was last year. And the, the fact that he was really bad in some of those games on national television, the, the whole seeing ghost things and the four interceptions, that's good. Because, again, that is recency bias where people are not going to be on the guy. 
So that and so when I look at all these changes, no one's expecting that. That just to me to me in DFS means cheaper price, lower ownership, and a great play to gain an edge in the DFS world. So that's the way I look at it. And uh, with all these things we're going to talk about, I think a lot of people will feel the same way if they know about this. Yeah, and you're right. He did stay cheap. The most expensive he ever got on DraftKings was 6.1k. So um, if he can sort it out with a, a basically a whole new group a group of wide receivers. He could be a sneaky value, and there has been some major turnover with those pass catchers. You mentioned Robbie Anderson. He signed a big deal with Carolina, and you know he was really their deep threat. Uh, he caught almost uh, – well, he caught five touchdowns, almost 800 yards. And then Demarius Thomas, the veteran, he's a free agent. Uh, he, he had over 400 yards receiving and a score. And Quincy Anunua out again with injury. And might as well mention that the uh, running backs – a uh, big turnover there too. Bilal Powell is a free agent and Ty Montgomery sound, signed with New Orleans. So five, you know, pretty central figures in terms of skill position players are gone. So big challenge here for Sam Darnold, because you mentioned if, if we got five new offensive line starters and all these different skill position players, there's a lot of work to do to get chemistry uh, in the most difficult offseason you know, anybody can imagine in, in recent memory for the NFL. So big challenge for him to get squared away. Uh, but, you know, maybe if the price stays low in certain matchups, we can target him. He did produce in some of the matchups where you would think he would produce in, uh, you know, teams with the, the weak passing defense like Washington and Oakland. So, I, you know, I agree on certain weeks he, he could be a value. Now, uh, we'll touch on the rest of the quarterback room here briefly. Joe Flacco just signed a one-year deal for $1.5 million with incentives could get to $4.5 million. So they obviously went with a veteran who is comfortable not being a starter and, and being in that backup role, that mentor role, unlike somebody like Cam Newton, who we've talked about, who wants to be a starter. Uh, you know, Flacco really trending down. You know, last year with, with Denver, he went two and six as a starter. He did complete 65% of his passes, but... In eight games, he only threw six touchdown passes, and he turned the ball over 11 times, mm-hmm. which is a t- just an awful ratio. So, um, you know, Flacco certainly there for his leadership. And then they drafted James Morgan out of Florida International. They spent a fourth-round pick on him. And I got to be honest, I wasn't really that impressed with his, his tape or his numbers. It seemed to me like he's throwing off his back foot a lot. And you know, he wasn't very good on the deep ball in, you know, because of some of those deficiencies in college. I mean, he on the deep balls, he threw five touchdowns, but four interceptions. And as a whole, he only passed for twenty five hundred yards, 14 scores and five picks. So I'm not quite sure what they were thinking there. Um, but any thoughts on any of these backup quarterbacks before we get to the running backs? Yeah, very quick. Uh, Joe Flacco, I like him as kind of like a coach. Uh, you know, like a coach player on the field. So obviously he's not that great physically as a quarterback anymore, but as a a mentor to uh, obviously uh, help, help Sam Darnold take his game to the next level and develop these other guys, these young guys. uh, I love him in that role. So, and he can probably help the scout team and really just help overall develop these quarterbacks. Uh, So I think him being in that quarterback room will help Sam Darnold. So, so I'm excited about that in terms of the mentorship kind of coaching aspect of it, not necessarily the play part of it. Uh, so because I think Sam Darnold is, like I said, I'm, I'm high on him to have a big, big year this year, a breakout year. Um, and then the uh, quarterback they took there, James Morgan, he is a kind of a pretty good size. He's 6'4", 229, and he he's a good arm talent. He needs to work on his fundamentals and his accuracy and, you know, get used to like a pro style system. So, I think that he has the talent that you can work with to develop at a pro level. So that's why they brought him in as like a, like a practice squad type guy that you develop um, and see if he can develop into a backup uh, type quarterback role there. So, so I like the pick in terms of quarterback and super important position. I know this guy wasn't great in college, but if you can develop his skills, he has some talent to work with. So he does have that potential there. So you never know. You know, sometimes you got to find those hidden gems and develop them. And I think Adam Gase is really good at developing quarterbacks. 
And this guy's going to be able to learn, be able to learn from Sam Darnold and Joe Flacco. So, so I like him as a deep developmental guy, but it's not someone we're looking at in fantasy. So I don't think we need to talk about him too much. Right. Right. Well, somebody that we are going to look at in fantasy and who's been one of the most important fantasy players since he uh, began his career seven years ago, he's played for six because he took a year off with a a contract dispute. That's Le'Veon Bell, of course. And last year was, was tough sledding for him as he uh, began his tenure with the Jets, he only hit value on DraftKings one week out of the 15 games that he played. He, you know, he put up all right numbers overall uh, in, in terms of PPR, but he just, because of his price tag, uh, that, that pedigree, that history, it just, it just wasn't profitable in, in terms of DFS. So what are your thoughts, Shane, on whether Le'Veon Bell can improve his efficiency this year and, you know, maybe spike, you know, a few more of these high fantasy point games where we get more excited about rostering him. Again, because of the way I project this offense and offensive line, Le'Veon Bell is a buy low candidate. I think the I think that the perception out there in the uh, fantasy community is Le'Veon Bell is washed up. He's not what he's a shell of his former self, that he's not as good as he used to be. And I think that the, those people are not looking at the situation he was in with that offensive line. You know, I gave you the stats earlier of how quick he would get hit. So I think with the improved offensive line, I mean, I'll, I'll run uh, Le'Veon Bell behind Makai Becton all day. Right. <laughs> An improved offensive line, a guy that size. Uh, so he's going to be able to make reads off these offense alignments block. And actually this offensive line is going to be able to control the line of scrimmage and create a little space. And if you give Le'Veon Bell some space, he's very creative in this running style and he's still explosive and powerful and still fast and still very smart. So I feel like he's going to have a big uptick in his, his yards per uh, yards per rush. He was only 3.2 yards per rush last year, only 789 yards and three touchdowns in the running game. So obviously that was horrible. Um, but he did improve. He, he did do well still in the passing game in a, in a really bad offense, 66 catches. So that's huge in PPR right there. 461 uh, receiving yards and one touchdown in the receiving game. So I'm expecting uh, increase in a, a similar type uh, rushing attempts, you know, probably around 250 or, or possibly a little more. But I'm expecting a big increase in the uh, in the yards per rush and more rushing touchdowns because of the overall better offensive line and better offensive production in general. Then I'll expect similar type receptions somewhere in the 60 to 70 receptions with probably more yards and more touchdowns there as well. So that's where I'm projecting Le'Veon Bell is that he is going to take a jump up in pretty much almost all statistics because of the improved offense. And, and again, I'm buying low on him because of the fact that, uh, you know, he was pretty, pretty mediocre, uh, you know, borderline bad last year at times. But what, what was he working with? You know, he had games where, again, uh, no starting quarterback. The quarterbacks, they have like Luke Falk or someone playing horrible in a few of those games. And he had Sam Darnold coming back. There was really no threat in the running, in the passing game that much. So uh, defenses were just keying in and stacking the box against him because they knew they wanted to run the ball. So I just think that it's going to be completely different with the passing threat uh, and defenses are not going to be able to key in on him as much. And in, in, in the offensive line is going to be much more dominant at the point of attack here. Uh, so I'm, I'm high on him despite his really poor year that he had. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think he'll be more effective and more efficient, both running the ball and catching the ball. Uh, I think his touchdown numbers will go back up, and you know he certainly will get back to four yards per carry. And the thing with the receptions is he's definitely the best pass catcher out of this running back group by far. And you know we got we got teased a little bit weeks one and two last year. He averaged eight catches. But then the rest of the season, he only averaged 3.8 receptions per game. So they just went away from that, couldn't make it click. Uh, I'd like to see them be more consistent throwing him the ball and get him up, you know, 75 to 80 receptions or more uh, and really take advantage of his talent there. Yeah, he's a true three down back, you know. I mean, last year he was a three down back as well. He's just a really bad one in a bad offense. 
but he's still a three a full a true three down back which is pretty rare with that type of receiving receiving skill set and still uh elite rushing ability uh so you can't really discount that so as long as he's priced reasonably like in the mid to mid high range and not up in the really high range there in the tier one i'll take this guy as that tier two to tier three pricing and I think he's going to get value a ton more and, and pop off with some like 30, 30 plus fantasy point games. And that's and if you can get him at low ownership, a decent price in 30, you know, 25 to 30 plus fantasy points. Uh, this guy is going to be uh, gain give you a good edge in the DFS game. Yeah, he was as low as 5.8 K, 5.8 K last year, as high as 7.6. If we can get him in that 6K range, then I'd be excited to to shoot for one of those, uh, you know, greater than 20 point games and, and see him get back over 30 on a somewhat regular basis. So the rest of the group behind him is a really interesting mix. We've got Frank Gore, Kenneth Dixon, and the fourth rounder out of Florida, LaMichael Pirine. So first of all, we got to, we got to tip our cap to Frank Gore. I mean, 37 years old, 15 years in the league, and he's, he's still going strong. Um, what do you see as uh, Frank's, Frank Gore's role here in 2020? Yeah, you know, Frank Gore is the guy that you just keep doubting. You say, there's no way this guy's going to come back again. And I think the one thing you learn, even though he's really old, is you just can't doubt Frank Gore. This guy is just a baller. and He's a, uh, highly experienced, and he's still got some athleticism and some strength and power and, and speed, a little bit a little bit of quickness, even in his, even in his uh, you know, age that he's at. I mean, for NFL terms, he's basically 80 years old, right? I mean, it, so I think that he's a, I think he's a great uh, addition to be able to keep this running game going this you know to be able to actually have a power rushing attack and to spell Le'Veon Bell uh, when he's tired so Le'Veon Bell is going to get a full workload but you don't want to just completely wear him out because this is a team that could actually make a playoff run so to help spell him I think that you can give Frank Gore some time but I don't think he's going to take enough time away where it's going to hurt Le'Veon Bell so I like for, uh, like Frank Gore I think he's going to be actually productive when he's in there and being that he is getting up there in age, they're only going to use him in a limited role to help spell Le'Veon Bell. But I think that it's going to keep up the rushing production and he's going to be able to, you know, pass protect and kind of teach all these young guys uh, the ropes, you know, uh, in the running back room as well. So I think it's a great addition. Uh, I think it's hard to put the value on a guy like this that has that much experience in the league. So he should be a good influence on the running back room and have decent production, but it's not a guy that will probably target in fantasy. Um, now, if Le'Veon Bell goes out, then it is a guy that, especially like on FanDuel, Frank Gore is really good in terms of his rushing production and his red zone production. It's a guy that if that uh, Le'Veon Bell goes out, that you will be able to target Frank Gore at a, probably a pretty cheap price if if there's an injury. Yeah, so I, for me, I, I do think he's more of a positive impact on the room in general, uh, not somebody that will certainly not target in uh, in fantasy. Because I think his ceiling has pretty much disappeared with that 80-ish like real football age with all the mileage on that body, 15,000 yards and almost 80 touchdowns. Um, you know, he, he kind of saw it last year where he, you know, he had some decent outings early, but then he sort of lost his steam. He didn't score or rush for 100 yards after week four. I, I know that Singletary got a lot, um, you know, bigger share of the snaps and the touches, but you know, he was 3.6 yards per carry, didn't do much in terms of receptions, only caught 13 balls last year. So I, I agree. He's more of a just, you know, basically be there to to spell Le'Veon Bell, keep him fresh, uh, and, and we won't target him in fantasy. But let's look at the next guy, Kenneth Dixon. You know, another interesting profile here because he didn't get any snaps last year. Uh, back in 2018 with Baltimore, he averaged 5.6 yards per carry. Scored twice, only caught six balls, but two years before that he had 30 receptions. So, do you think that he'll be, uh, you know, the leader in the clubhouse early in the season to be out there on third down catching some passes when Le'Veon Bell wants a break? Yeah, I think Kenneth Dixon will be in the mix there. They got the rookie uh, LaMichael uh, P. Ryan that we'll talk about, but Kenneth Dixon, uh, being that he's a veteran, he's going to know this offense a lot better on a shortened off season. So he can actually get some uh, some downs there uh, as a change of pace back, especially if either Frank Gore or Le'Veon Bell goes down too. He Kenneth Dixon can run the ball and catch passes out of the backfield. So yeah, so it's a guy that you have to definitely keep on your radar and to see if he can get in the mix. But I don't expect him to get a whole lot of snaps. 
Um, he might con- he's more of a contributor on special teams and that type of thing. So if he can be a core special teamer and, you know, keep acclimating to the offense, he knows the offense pretty well, then he could actually get in the mix if there's an injury. But other than that, I don't think he's going to uh, have much value, uh, standalone value, if, ever, if the top two guys are healthy here. Now, what about Lamaiko Pirine, the fourth rounder out of Florida? This is a guy who, you know, doesn't wow you with speed. He only ran a 4.62 and really didn't do that much in terms of volume running the ball. He only ran for 676 yards and six scores last year. He was good catching the ball. He caught 41 passes and he only had one drop on 53 targets. So, uh, you know, what are the chances that early in the season P. Ryan's out there over Dixon uh, catching some balls on third down? I think if P. Ryan can learn the offense and learn the pass protection, if they can trust him with the pass protection, he is a guy that can get in there and eventually try to take over this backup, you know, uh, backup role because he could, he has the attributes to be a three, three down back. I think that he, he could rush the ball uh, last year. College, he averaged over five yards per uh, per rush. He just didn't get a lot of volume in the in the rushing attack there. But for to have 40 catches and five receiving touchdowns at the college level, where they don't really pass the running backs a lot, that's pretty impressive. So that shows he does have a great skill set, really good hands, uh, and it could be able to run routes uh, out of the backfield for a running back. So he does profile similar to the you know attributes of Le'Veon Bell in that in that matter. So I think that this this guy is going to be uh, in the mix there that later in the year, he could challenge for that backup role and start getting more and more shares. I think it's just going to take him longer to, to develop there. Um, but yeah, he has a guy you have to keep an eye on again with injuries and especially later in the year as he develops. Um, I could see him getting in the mix and actually making a contribution, but uh, it's, it's pretty hard to project him for much production here, but it's a guy that you have to keep an eye on at least. Well, let's transition to the wide receiver group and a guy that we have to keep our eye on there is Jamison Crowder. You know, he's the veteran, the the highly productive receiver who's coming back. We mentioned all these changes. Robbie Anderson gone, Demarius Thomas gone, Quincy Anunwa injured. So here comes Jamison Crowder to lead this group. And before we get to the additions, here's the guy who played all 16 games, caught 78 passes for over 800 yards. He's that, you know, slot receiver, PPR guy that we like on DraftKings. What are your thoughts on Crowder this year? Yeah, I mean, he has a great role in this offense. Uh, this offense does like to kind of pick people apart underneath. And uh, Sam Darnold loves Jameson Crowder. He's a great route runner, very reliable target. Uh, he gave him uh, last year, he, uh, Jameson Crowder got 122 targets, you know. He turned that into 834 yards and six touchdowns. So, so Crowder was actually pretty good in the red zone, considering this offense wasn't really scoring much at all. He got six touchdowns and... 78 catches and over 100 targets so and also just having these other uh big big more physical speed type receivers height weight speed type receivers that they have on the outside now uh that's going to open up more space underneath for jameson crowder as well so yeah especially in ppr formats you really like jameson crowder i don't know if he's going to have as much red zone production with some of these other bigger uh more rangy kind of guys coming in bigger catch radius guys but i think that in ppr this guy it uh, has that pretty high upside to get a lot of catches, uh, you know, and rack up the yards and rack up the receptions too. So, so yeah, I really like Jamison Crowder. I think he kind of flies under the radar and he had, he had some pretty big fantasy games. I remember uh, playing him one week and then one week I had him in a lineup and I ended up pulling him in and I was mad because it was the week that he had like 24 points or something like that. And he was like super cheap. So I just remember playing him a little bit and looking at him as a sleeper, low ownership guy. He had fantasy games on DraftKings in the uh, PPR format of 27, 24, 22, 20, you know, 19, 18, 16. So he had a bunch of solid games. And that's, again, with a pretty bad offense, bad offensive line. So um, so I look for him to get more production still and, and to be a main target, uh, a reliable target in, in this offense. Yeah, he hit value seven times on DraftKings because we could often get him in that 4 to 5K range. Yep. And in terms of when to target him, like a lot of receivers, he, he performed best against some of the poor passing defenses that you would expect. He had uh, a stretch in the middle of a season where he had three straight games hitting value with at least one touchdown against Miami, the Giants, and Washington. And then here's one fun little unique takeaway that might surprise some people. 
In the two games against Buffalo last year, he put up 24 fantasy points and then 20. So against a better defense, uh, there's a little nugget. I'll yeah, have that, that, was, I'll have that so matchup circled this that year. That was one of those matchups where he was super cheap, and I was thinking about playing him because he fit into my lineup build. And I think I got scared of the matchup at the last second and pulled him out. And then I remember tracking the game on Sunday, and I was like, dang it, he did go off against Baltimore. Right. But yeah, that, that's usually how it is. So, yeah, this is a guy that you, you don't you definitely want to keep on your radar. He flies under the radar. He's super cheap, and he produces. And uh, uh, I think he already has the chemistry and the timing built in with Sam Darnold, where the other wide receivers do not have that yet. It will take more time to, to get that. So he already has that built in, which is good. So he's really the most reliable, productive target with the best chemistry and in an improved offense. Uh, I think that, you know, I think that that's going to, that's going to bode well for him, especially early in the year, right out the gate. That's right. Now let, let's start to talk about these uh, additions who are going to surround Crowder, these bigger, faster guys on the outside. We've got one veteran and one rookie, the two guys we agree on as the ones who are most likely to be out there contributing from day one. We've got Brashad Perriman, the veteran, and Denzel Mims, the exciting rookie out of Baylor. What are your thoughts on this duo? Yeah, I obviously love these guys. The Rashad Pyramid, I'm sure, uh, like a lot of people, you were playing him the last like four or five weeks of the year when uh, the Tampa Bay uh, had some injuries. Uh, I think it was Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, like a bunch of injuries there. And Rashad Pyramid all of a sudden finally lived up to his draft hype. Uh, I don't know. I don't have the exact pick in front of me, but this guy was a first round pick, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Uh, Yep. So his his father, uh, Brett Pyramid, played for the Detroit Lions back in the day. So I remember watching Pier- Brett Pyramid was actually a great receiver back in the day. Uh, so this guy's got the pedigree and he's he's another one of those height speed, uh, you know, height, weight, speed guys. He's physical. He's fast. And this guy really did a good job catching the deep ball, contested catches, very difficult catches. And uh, the Jets did not have a guy like Rashad Pyramid last year that that has good physicality, height and speed. They had Robbie Anderson, but he doesn't really, he's not really a physical receiver. He's kind of a one trick pony go route type guy, you know, kind of a slim, slim build guy. Rashad Pyramid is built and he's physical. He can get off press coverage and he can, he has a better catch radius. So if Sam Darnold throws the ball a little high, Rashad Pyramid can go up and get it. So he's got really, really good hands and he can, he can really get body control to be able to go up and catch the ball and high point the ball. So that's going to help them with the deep passing game. That's going to help them with quick slant routes for, you know, to be to get first downs to be able to uh, be more physical and kind of box box players out and beat them beat them to the inside uh, and that's really going to help him with the red zone being that this guy's a big target in the red zone as well so that, again that upgrades Sam Darnold but I expect actually good production out of Pyramid it might take him a few weeks just to get the timing down with Sam Darnold but uh, yeah you definitely can't doubt this guy they didn't have anyone like that the closest guy they had to that was Demarius Thomas who actually put up okay production in his limited playing time there. And Demarius Thomas is completely old and washed up, you know, anyway, so he's past his prime. So that's, so you can see that that he takes this guy, Rashad Perriman takes on that Demarius Thomas role, except for he's like way more talented, you know, at this point in his career. So that, that means I think that there'll be big production there. Um, So they won't be so one dimensional in terms of just trying to hit Jamison Crowder over the middle or once in a while hit, you know, uh, Robbie Anderson for a deep ball. Cause that's, it seems like all Robbie Anderson could do, you know? Uh, so, and then if you look at the, the rookie coming in Denzel Mims, I think this guy's uh, awesome. He's a completely, uh, he's a track, another one of those track guys, a complete freak, uh, six, three, two Oh seven, uh, four, three, eight, 40 time, 38 inch and a half vertical. Uh, I talk about the RAS score, the RAS score relative athletic score is based on, how good they are for that position compared to pretty much all the draft class going, going back for several years. And this guy out of 10 was a 9.77. So he's almost a per- relative athletic score uh, for Denzel Mims here. Now I think Denzel Mims, I was, I was kind of confused of why he, he dropped so far in the draft because he put up good production in 2019 at Baylor, uh, 66 catches over a thousand yards, 15.5 average and 12 touchdowns. In the two seasons before that, he had eight touchdowns each each season. So he had like 28 touchdowns or something like that for his career. So he put up production there. He was physically dominant, super fast, uh, really uh, this guy, you know, so again, I was surprised he dropped to the second round and pick 59. I think that was a great pick for him. They actually traded back and gained an extra pick and then was able to get the wide receiver they liked still. Uh, So the thing with this guy is not only is he tall, he's got really long arms. 
Uh, he's got good hands, so he's got a really good catch radius and ability to make those acrobatic catches. So he's a red zone threat. He's a deep threat. He can really get those 50-50 balls. He reminds me a little bit of Kenny Galladay, maybe not quite as uh, as as heavy as Kenny Galladay in terms of the muscle build here at, at this point in career. But he reminds me of Kenny Galladay being able to be big and physical and have a good catch radius and, and be able to compete for balls there. So where he lacks is – which is probably why he fell down to 59th pick is his lateral quickness and his route running ability. So I think that the teams were scouts were worried about his ability to run routes and that quickness part of it. And they thought he was kind of one dimensional, just using his, his uh, physical attributes. But I think his physical attributes are so dominant that he's going to do well and they will develop him as a route runner. Um, he did really good at the senior bowl. He completely dominated practices at the senior bowl against some of the top talent. So the guy really flashed there and he dominated the combine as well. So that's why I think he's good. It's going to take him a little while to get going. Uh, but I think that he is going to really uh, get in and be the starting wide receiver uh, opposite of uh, Crowder in the slot and Brashad Pyramid. So you got really good weapons there. Um, so it'll probably take him a while to to produce in the fantasy world, but it's a guy who will be on our radar because he does have the talent, and he, I think he will flash for some big plays here. Uh, so I know that's a, a, a long explanation, but I think this is a really important player for them, and I think it was a great pick too. So Yeah, I do too. I mean, they, they, they've got to be excited about this group. They've gone younger. Um, bigger, stronger, faster. You, you mentioned Mims, his athleticism with that 43840. Uh, great, great 10-yard uh, split as well, 96th percentile there. And and the production, basically averaging 60 catches for almost 1,000 yards, almost 10 touchdowns, three years in a row. And uh, you know he, he had some drops uh, last two years out of the catchable balls, 13% drops. And uh, you, you mentioned the route running, but, you know, he still goes up and wins a lot of 50-50 balls with his athleticism. And so to have him on one side and Perriman on the other, and you mentioned how Perriman finished last year, finally trending in the right direction. You know, in the first seven weeks last year, he only had three receptions. Down the stretch in those last nine weeks, he hit value six out of nine weeks. And he finished with three excellent games, five for 113 and three. Seven for 102 and five for 134 and another score. So perfect timing for Perriman as he's becoming a free agent and he's bet on himself again with this one-year deal. And you know, this is this is certainly going to be a team to look at against a team that's a little bit weaker against uh, against the pass. You know, I think you have three really good options here, depending on where the defensive weakness is in the secondary to either look at Crowder. Or to look at one of these guys on the outside, uh, you know, especially on FanDuel, to catch a, a touchdown or two, maybe even a long one, um, at, at a very low price, likely. So uh, exciting stuff there. Now they also signed Josh Doxson to a one-year deal. This one's for only 720,000. So obviously everybody views him as more of that fourth receiver, a guy who is there if one of these other guys goes down. But he really has that same physical profile as Perriman and Mims. He's also in that 6'2", 205 range. He's not quite as fast as Mims, but another first round pick um, who just has had a little bit of a bumpy ride. Uh, cut last year by Washington, got in one game with Minnesota, but didn't get any, didn't even get targeted. So you got to go back to 2018 to actually get some stats, some stats from Doxson. And he was all right then, 44 catches for over 500 yards and two scores. So, again, I, I think it's a nice investment for less than a million dollars as a, a guy who was a former first rounder and he's got that size. Um, and it sort of he, he's going to fit that same um, little box for me. If one of those guys goes down and he's starting on the outside at near minimum price, he's a guy I would consider. Yeah, I think that uh, if Josh Doxson can hang out with Prashad Pyramid enough – Maybe that first uh, being able to shed the first round bust label will, will you know, uh, will, will, will shut off on him a little bit, you know, rub off on him a little bit, which would be good. So Josh Doxson is a, is a guy that his career is not over. He's a first round bust. He's kind of floated around, but you never know in the right system with the right coaching 
Uh, I really like the coaching staff for these wide receivers to be able to continue to develop Rashad Pyramid and develop Denzel Mims and guys like Josh Doxson deep in the depth chart. Um, they have Sean Jefferson, who is a former uh, you know, wide receiver, who is really good as a wide receiver in the league, and he's a very good wide receiver coach. And then they also have a guy named Heinz Ward on the coaching staff who helps coach the receivers, who's like an offensive assistant. Uh, who's a, a legend in terms of uh, being able to teach these guys fundamentals and techniques and how to play the wide receiver position. So with the great coaching staff, they can take these guys that are kind of raw athletic talents and develop their skills as a wide receiver and continue to get better and better. The same way Brashad Pyramid finally broke out, these other guys can break out as well with their skill set. Um, so so things are looking up there. But yeah, Josh Doxson's a nice guy to have for depth to see if he still has something in the uh, still something left in the tank. I think he still has the athleticism. Uh, it's just you know he was in some pretty bad offenses when he was in Washington. Josh Doxson was so it's really hard to blame him there. He had a lot of injury issues and you know I think they just you know it just wasn't working out. But you, you never know he might have a chance, especially if there's an injury here. He could come out of nowhere like Pyramid did last year. Um, so it's a guy that you have to you have to be aware of as well. So uh, is was there anyone else in the wide receivers that you want to talk about? No, I'll just mention Vincent Smith. Um, you know, with all those departures, he's the only other guy back who had more than 10 catches. He had 17 catches, 225 yards, didn't get in the end zone. Um, he's another guy, speaking of the negative floor with Sam Darnold, he also showed a negative floor. There was a game against Washington where he fumbled a kick return and mm-hmm. uh, didn't didn't catch any balls. So he ended up with negative one that week. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he did finish the season with uh, three straight games of at least three receptions. So he has, you know, a tiny bit of chemistry there with Donald, but uh, he, he's fifth on my depth, depth chart. So I think we can transition to the tight ends. And this is an interesting little duo here of, of Herndon and Griffin because Herndon had a rough season last year with injury and suspension. Uh, so Ryan Griffin stepped up and, and had over 30 catches. But, you know, Herndon was Donald's guy in 2018. So how do you see this shaking out in 2020? So uh, both Adam Gase and uh, and the GM, Joe Douglas, are really big on uh, Chris Herndon, and they view him as a, a franchise, uh, you know, top-level type tight end. Um, he had a really good rookie year, over 500 receiving yards, again, in a bad offense. That was Sam Darnold's first year. So he has rapport with Sam Darnold, and he profiles as a really good, big, athletic tight end, great route running, great hands. Uh, the problem last year is he got uh, a, a DWI in the offseason. He was suspended the first four games. Then he got uh, a couple bad injuries, which basically put him out the entire year. So this is another guy that's a buy low candidate flying under the radar that you can get for cheap, whether you're talking your your season long leagues or your daily fantasy. This guy should be pretty cheap uh, based on the fact he didn't really play last year. Uh and it's a guy a lot of people are forgetting about. Just to give you an idea where this guy was rated in last offseason, he was rated as a sleeper tight end, but he was on the top of the sleeper tight end. So he even with him, his four-game suspension, most draft draft experts had him rated above guys like other sleepers like Darren Waller and Mark Andrews. Okay. So which is crazy because you've seen what those guys did. Now I had I had both of those guys on my teams. I knew about those guys. Uh, and I was looking at Chris Herner, but I didn't like the suspension. My point was he was rated higher than those guys. So he, he, he did have the potential there. So if he gets a full season, full training camp and stays healthy, this is a guy that's going to come out of nowhere as a tight end and can produce. I'm looking at like six to 700 receiving yards at least. And, uh, you know, I think that he could easily catch, you know, 40 to 50 catches. And he's a, another red zone threat where he can get five or six touchdowns. So he could be a really solid tight end, being that he's going to be super cheap and under the radar. I like Chris Herndon. And again, that's going to help Sam Darnold even more, just having another weapon in the red zone, another weapon to pick up first downs, another guy in the middle of the field to cause mismatch issue, issues there. And then they also have Ryan Griffin, who's pretty solid as a nice backup as well, who can block or run, catch the ball, who had a couple big games last year. Um, so that's my take on the uh, tight ends like Chris Herndon. Uh, what do you think about Chris Herndon? Yeah, I agree. By low candidate again, uh, you know, he had over 500 yards as a rookie. So you, you got to figure with with health now after dealing with the hamstring and the ribs that he's going to be raring to go and, uh, you know, look for the look for the right matchups. Uh, I agree. These guys will probably be priced much lower than some of the uh, more productive tight ends, but both talented uh, so, uh, yeah, based on the matchup and the price, I'd consider them. Um, 
Before we finish up, Shane, with one more look at the draft, let's just mention social media here for a second. Where can everybody find you? Yeah, I'm on uh, D- Detroit Sports Shane. It's actually DET Sports Shane. So DET Sports Shane, and you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram there. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at Language Olympic. And we certainly appreciate all your support here with these uh, f- free podcasts seven days a week. We're going to continue to have them for you uh, in front of the paywall. So we would love it if you would just give us a thumbs up wherever you're listening. And if you're only listening, I just want to let you know you can watch these fine podcasts on YouTube. We put our daily podcast there up on uh, on video. So that's the scoop there. Uh Shane, let's wrap up quickly with one more look at the draft. Um, you know, we've talked about Becton, uh, the, the stud offensive tackle in the first round, leading uh, leading this group here, the 2020 draft class. Yeah, I think we have to talk about Becton here. This was a huge move for them, be able to rebuild that offensive line, and that's going to be one of the biggest changes with this team. Uh, now, this guy is going to anchor the left tackle and protect Sam Darnold's blind side, which is exactly what he needs. And this guy is going to be able to just dominate in the run game as well, which is what Le'Veon Bell needs in the running game. So he's a perfect fit. Uh, complete. This guy's a complete freak because he's six seven and three hundred sixty four pounds. So he's a massive man. And if you watched him run the forty at the combine, it was extremely impressive. He ran a five point one forty time at that size. Now five point one doesn't sound fast because you're used to all those low four four guys. But when you consider this guy's size, this guy is moving. Uh, and if you watch this tape, he completely dominated uh, at uh, Louisville there. I mean, he when he blocked someone, he he completely, you know, he didn't end until they were on the ground. It didn't take him long. You know, he would just completely finish and just dominate people. So this guy being able to be athletic and move in space and get out there on those screen passes and be able to move for pass protection and just dominate at the point of attack for running. They're going to continue to coach him up and help improve his technique. Uh, the sky's the limit with this guy, and he's a franchise true left, tack- left tackle that's going to immediately be able to start from day one and improve pass protection, which they really need, and run blocking. So this is a, this is a great pick at 11, I think, and uh, I think it's going to improve everything in this offense just by that by that one player. What do you think about uh, Becton? Did you like him as much as I did? Oh, I might have I might have lost you there for a minute, Andrew. Can you hear me? Okay, so the other guy that they took, uh, we already talked a lot about uh, Denzel Mims in the second round here, uh, and talked a lot about him. I think he's going to be an immediate starter and immediate contributor. So very excited about Denzel Mims. Uh, and then the other guy that I really like uh, in the third round, pick 68, they took Ashton Davis, who is a safety out of California, and he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, a Swiss Army knife type, type guy, 6'1", 202, and he's a guy that can play in the box. He can he can cover. He can come in and cover as a slot. If they want to run that, uh, you know, big, uh, big slot corner uh, uh, role, uh, kind of put him in the uh, three safety sets, they can do that now as well with this guy. He can contribute on special teams. He can do a little bit of everything. So Ashton Davis, I think, is a great pick to provide extra depth in the safety room and be able to cover there and do a little bit of everything. And then we talked about uh, round in round three, pick 79, they got Zabari Zuniga, uh, and he's uh, outside linebacker in this 3-4 scheme from Florida, and he's got good size, 6'3", 253. Uh, he had some injuries last year, so he didn't play that much, but this guy projects as a good pass rusher off the edge. He's got good speed and get off. And uh, he's, he had a lot of sacks and tackles for loss in college when he was healthy. So he's a good prospect to be able to contribute in the outside linebacker position. Uh, and then we talked about Michael P. Ryan from Florida, who's a developmental kind of running back who might be able to get in the mix. And he's a good pass. Uh, he's a good pass receiving back. So he could get in the mix there as well. And we talked about the quarterback, developmental quarterback, James Morgan. They took him. And they also took an offensive tackle at a UNC Charlotte in the fourth round was Cameron Clark. And Cameron Clark is 6'5", 308, solid offensive tackle there. He wasn't as good with his footwork and athleticism at tackle, so I feel like they might want to move him inside to guard and compete for one of those starting guard positions or at least provide good depth. And he's a guy that's versatile enough to be able to play tackle and guard, so that's why I think he was a high-value pick at, at pick four there. 
Um, and then they took Bryce Hall, a cornerback out of Virginia, who was injured, but also had a pretty good year, uh, pretty good uh, production there at Virginia. And then they took the top punter in the draft at Braden Mann, who was really not going to affect fantasy, but uh, they did get a good punter there in, in the sixth round there. Uh, so I think that overall, Mackay Becton and Denzel Mims, those guys, and then all these other guys are going to be able to compete for starting spots as well eventually. Um, but Makai Becton, I think, was a great pick. Um, were, were you pretty high on Makai Becton as well? Andy? Yeah, that that was huge. I mean, uh, like you said, he's going to anchor the left tackle position hopefully for more than a decade. And really, it's going to be fun to watch how much he – I mean, along with the new offensive line, but really uh, how much of an impact he can have. And the, the trickle-down effect for both Darnold and Le'Veon Bell I think is going to be substantial. So great investment there. I, I do think the Jets are trending in the right direction. Uh, I want I want to hit on Zuniga one more time from Florida. I think he can really help and again take this defense to an even higher level with more uh, you know sacks and and big plays where we might get more value out of them uh, from a DFS perspective. So um, great stuff there, Shane. Breaking down the draft class, uh, great stuff on the Jets as always. And I'm going to have to sign off for the day because tomorrow it's going to be you and Santino. And uh, I do hope everybody will, will tune in. Santino is a big, big Dolphins guy. So we're going to have to see yeah. just uh, exactly if you know how he handles it, if he can handle himself with, with the excitement of Tua. Uh, but that'll be that'll be fun. A must watch for sure. I like Tua, but I might have to spoil Santino's uh, Tua party tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> so, well, so I think I have a feeling I might have a couple of varying opinions with him, but uh, that'll be that'll be a good one. I I, I do like the Dolphins, uh, <laughs> that, that kind of an up and coming team as well. I don't think they're there yet, but they are kind of an exciting team. Well, this is where to find it. So, uh, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, on behalf of Shane Caldwell, I am Andrew Hansen, and be sure to tune in again tomorrow as Shane and Santino break down the Miami Dolphins right here on DFS Coach Talk.